Stag. Man and his amazing friends. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Stagman and His Amazing Friends. I'm Griffin. I'm back. I've been away. Ethan did a phenomenal job hosting last week. Ethan, by the way, is here with me right now. Hey, Ethan. Hey, Griffin. Hey, Kenny. Hey, amazing friends. It's other producer uh, yes. boy, Ethan. Uh, I'm yes. back. Spoiled it. Ethan, goddammit. <laughs> Shit. They yes. read the title of the episode. I think people are going to know from the name of the yeah. episode that they I'm already on. So it's not that big of a uh, curtain reveal. damn it. You both got me. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop podcasting forever now. Uh... You yes. had a good run. It's the holidays. <laughs> you could just stop and reflect and think about where you're going with your life mm-hmm. and how this was all just a terrible, terrible mistake and experiment. Yep, coming up on the new year, new me, and new passion. I'm leaving podcasting yeah, I mean, take behind. up golf or something, or you could build balsa wood planes or something like that. What what do people do for hobbies? You could bird watch? Uh, I could bird watch. I could balsa wood planes. Um, I could collect spoons. Uh... Model trains are cool. Model trains are pretty neat. I could collect pretty dope. comic books. Is that a thing people oh, yeah. do still? I mean, you could do that. Yeah. You know, I figured, like, there's enough to talk about that. We could do a whole podcast on it. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about writing comic books. Me and Ethan both were thinking about doing that. Um, so, but, uh... But, but guys, this I, isn't this well, isn't our show though. We gotta introduce... Uh, we're here with comic book legend Ryan Stegman, everybody. Silence, crickets. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! No, Ryan we forgot not to tell Ryan that we were doing the show. Oh uh-huh. no! We got him. Jokes on him. Yeah. We wanted to just talk to Kenny by ourselves and just throw all of our questions at him, which is exactly what we're doing this week, folks. Kenny Porter yeah. is joining us once again, officially. Kenny, hello. Wonderful to have you back. Thanks for having me, Griffin and of Ethan. Course. It's a it's a pleasure, and it's a bummer that Ryan couldn't be here, but. It's holiday weekend. It's the day after Thanksgiving. We're all nice and full of food. I figured I would go ahead, take hosting duties today, jump on, do a do a sister sort of episode to the Tips with Artists yes. or Tips for Artists yes. uh, podcast episode, and do a Tips for Writers episode. That's exactly what we're doing. It's Tips for Writers. Kenny Porter right here is a comic book writer. He's breaking in right now as we speak. Kenny, what? So tell us uh, just a little recap because obviously we have the episode with you originally that people can go back and hopefully have already listened to. Um, But a little bit what you've done and what is the super cool thing that you've got coming up? Awesome. Yep. Um, so I've been writing comics for a while. Uh, I've written for uh, comic book companies like DC Comics uh, Top Cow and Image. Um, I have a book coming out through Scholastic in about a year and a half. Uh, I've done comic adaptations for Sega, so I've had a wide breadth of things that I've worked on. Uh, most recently, I'm going to be having a Superman story that I did with Ramon Villalobos and Tamra Bonvillain that's going to come out on December 4th yes. in the New Year's Evil that's anthology. That's so cool. Yep, so I'm pretty pumped about that. It looks amazing. Like Ramon's pages were outstanding, and Tamra's colors like knocked it up to the next level. Are the details out on, on what that is it. and and uh, like? Oh yeah, it's everywhere. It's been uh, it's been posted up, and I've been tweeting about it like a madman. So Dude, <laughs> just yes. like so happy to have gotten to work on the all time good boy. Do you want to give Superman, us the uh, so. the elevator pitch of the story? Sure, yeah. So the whole anthology is focused around villains and holiday stories. So it's a daring attempt by Toy Man to get rid of any and all electronic competition for Christmas. Sweet. I love that. Very cool. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> so, and I won't spoil any more than that because it does it it goes pretty bonkers, and there's a lot of a lot of things in there for fans of DC, especially in the '90s. Uh, yes. Um, so, real quick, when when is that out? Uh, December fourth. So very if, soon this Wednesday. When, yeah. So when is this episode dropping? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow. Yep. Okay. Bam. Yeah. Yep. So they'll still be able to go grab it from the shop. Mm-hmm. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on uh, Wednesday morning. And if you can't wait to read some of Kenny's stuff before then, he's got this sick Deck Star story that I love. <laughs> <laughs> That's in uh, what's I forget the Halloween special. What is the official name of the Halloween special? Oh no, the the Green Lantern one was in the oh, um, yes. Halloween yes. one. The Deck Star one the was summer in the summer one. one. Yes. Yeah. So um. Yeah, the Dexter story is in the Dog Days of Summer anthology. Uh, Kenny's written a bunch of super awesome stuff, and that one is my favorite. So go check it mm-hmm. out, please. Are the details yeah, you, never, the, uh, you never miss a beat. Are the details on the Scholastic book out? What, what what's up with that? Yeah, so um, the Scholastic book is called The Fearless Rider, and that's about a young girl named Kara whose best friend moves away at the beginning of the summer, right before they go into middle school. And at first, they keep up, and they're sending letters, and they're emailing and everything, but then her friend goes radio silent and refuses to talk to her anymore. Uh So instead of showing up on the first day of school, she grabs her buddy, who's a little ferret, and decides to ride two cities over to try to go win her best friend back. So it's kind of like the Odyssey, where she's going and meeting all these other people and helping them and like learning more stuff about herself and i can't go into much after that because it's spoiler mm-hmm, territory mm-hmm. but that um yeah that was announced through publishers weekly uh last year and they have uh, the official like spot up on the scholastic website uh, and i've seen the most recent round of pencils from the artist i work with zach wilcox who's amazing and it looks really really good love it you can see yeah. preview pages of those up online yeah i can't nice, wait to get my hands dude. on that that's going to be so awesome. You know what else is going to be awesome is hearing what Kenny's got to tell us about writing comic books. Um, me and Ethan in particular are very excited to do this episode. We are trying to write comic books for a living. It's no secret. We've, <laughs> we've alluded to it on the show before. It's going to happen. We got qu- uh, they've we got-, got billboards. they got radio ads. <laughs> <laughs> we got questions on our other show that we do. People were like, hey, I was listening to Stegman. Are you guys trying to write comics? Yeah, of course we're trying Answer. to write comics. What do you mean? It's, it's the best job in the Come world. Come on now. Um, Kenny, yeah. uh, from here, please take it away. What are some tips you've got for folks that are in our shoes that are trying to write comics? Uh, what are some books you've read that have helped you? Because, of course, that's a staple <laughs> of our tips episodes. Um, the, Ryan will the, be here in spirit with the list of books. Um, so, please, by all means, what do you got for us? Yeah, I was given a very rigid format that I was supposed <laughs> to follow. So, <laughs> I don't mind diving in. So, cool. we can... Um, we can get a little bit freeform with the rest of it if you guys like decide to interject with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I have a big stack of books right here. Sweet. Not all of them are necessarily completely about comics, but mm-hmm. like Ryan had said in his episode, every time I find a book about writing, I read through it, even if it's not directly related to writing comics or prose or uh, other short stories and things that I usually write, just because you can always find something to try to make yourself better. Totally. And you should always be trying to get better. Absolutely. So, yeah, I have a great stack right here. I'll go through some of them. Um, like I said, it some of them might sound weird because they're not necessarily comics-based, but I'll explain when I get to them. No worries, man. Um, 
Yep. Okay. So uh, the first book that I want to recommend, because it's just kind of a real basic bare bones directly about comics, which I mentioned the last time I was on the show, was the DC Comics Guide to Writing Comics, which Dennis O'Neill did. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not familiar with Dennis O'Neill, a lot of times I've heard him, he goes either by Dennis or Denny O'Neill. He's very famous and prolific in the comic book industry, both as a writer and as an editor. He wrote the famous like Green Lantern, Green Arrow run, you know, the hard traveling heroes stuff. He was a Batman editor forever. Mm -hmm. Um, This book like does a great job of breaking down the differences between types of scripts, uh, how to write the plot first, how to do like even a Marvel method type thing, even though it's a DC centric book. you know, writing dialogue, breaking things down into three-act structure, breaking the three-act structure, the differences between one-shots, miniseries. It's overall just like a great launching point for anyone who's interested in writing comics and about breaking things down into manageable parts when you're starting. Which, I mean, a lot of things we'll talk about, you know, breaking things into acts, which if you're not familiar with what an act is, it's basically like a unit of the story. And the most famous structure which you get in a lot of screenwriting books, is the three-act structure, mm-hmm. which I can even, if you want, I can break down as a, I mean, um, as a I, uh, storytelling I'll, tool. I'll say, um, just real quick, I guess I'll, I'll just interject here. Um, mm-hmm. I've alluded to this, I think, on some other uh, shows on, on Stegman and, of course, on Rewind, um, but I was a, a film student, and so I spent a lot of time with uh, screenplay books and everything like that. What and now, the fucking um, do? Okay, get fucked. <laughs> get what the fucked. fucking do? Listen, I'm just trying to give context for the next thing I'm gonna say. I'm not trying to flex. But anyway. Um, He's read very a lot well of, read. Get it, Griffin. You went to college. Jeez. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that's on my mind. I'm a bi- I'm, it's a big deal. More I'm like Stegman and his privileged friends. Oh my Oof, god. Woof. Yeah. Yeah, what can I say? I'm very Okay. Very okay, hit us. Sorry, Griffin. Go ahead. We're done. We're <laughs> done just, riffing on you. Go for razzing. it. Um and uh having made the jump to comics now, like there are very, obviously very specific things that are for film screenplays that should stay there, but also a lot of what I learned and I made this mistake when I was writing some of my uh first scripts was um was not just like thinking that comics being a, a different medium, um, though they're, they're both visual, obviously, being a different medium that I shouldn't just take all the, the rules I learned over. Um, but really, there is a lot more in common than I, uh, than I thought. And uh, a lot of those lessons that I learned from film writing and screenplay writing translated very, very well over to comics, mostly in what you're talking about right here, uh, the three-act structure and, the, and uh, you know, things about how to quickly introduce information and get people to care about characters in a, in, in a, in efficient manner. Um, and so like what you're saying, uh, some of these books might, might sound weird or anything. And I'm just backing that up and saying, yeah, no, the screenplay books that I wrote ended up being <laughs> totally, totally helpful. Um, so yeah. Yes. And that's what I cool. have a lot to start with because when I first wanted to start writing, I did want to be a screenwriter. So mm-hmm. I came from a very similar background and I've actually, like reignited my passion for that a little bit. I'm going to start diving into it again for some projects I have coming up. Mm -hmm. But I, so I come from a very similar background where the first thing I learned about 
you know, rigid script structure was from screenwriting. Mm-hmm. The major difference being like with screenwriting, it's action oriented where multiple things are happening, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a little bit more free flowing, although the format is super rigid. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're always told that like, if you slightly messed up the formatting that they would just yeah. throw your screenplay in the trash <laughs> where with yeah. writing comics, uh, there the is no real you want yeah, yeah 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 it's whatever fits uh fits the mold kenny you've read one of one of our scripts i always our minds format very very similarly to a to a screenplay oh, yeah. and uh, i think that which works. is just a real easy structure to jump into mm-hmm. because the visual language of it is mm-hmm. so simple to to read where you break the dialogue down that way and the character things it's an instant recognizable thing that people are able to distinguish mm-hmm. um so yeah, that's a very popular format. Is to just sort of adapt the screenplay format and to move that into comics. You had touched on um, the uh, the three act structure. Is that something that you tend to stick to pretty closely? Uh, like like, is there a structure that you kind of have as a go to when you're plotting out a story? Um, I kind of use it as I use it as a guide if I'm having trouble. A lot of times I tend to use what works best for the story. So there are the three act structure is the most popular one which is the in Act 1 you do all your setup and you introduce the problem at the end of Act 1 you have the main character go off like the big major plot point is to go off and explore and you know go on the journey Act 2 is like the fun and games and where the danger ramps up um, you have your midpoint where something goes wrong and then stuff just keeps going wrong until it gets to the worst spot and then right before the end of Act 2 like the hero decides like oh they're gonna go fix it and then act three is all the resolution and the climax mm-hmm. um there's other act structures like a four act structure which a lot of tv dramas use uh there's a five act structure i mean you can even break down things into further acts like plays like you could have an eight act structure just as long as you have different units of storytelling mm-hmm. and you know a lot of times with a miniseries like each issue is essentially like an act yeah. Uh, so, you know, like a 12-part miniseries, like Watchmen could be considered like a 12-act story. Yeah, that was something that I was that I was going to ask you about because it is obviously um once again drawing comparisons between this and and, and film film obviously is, you know, usually uh, a 90 to like 120 plus page thing where it's very you have a lot of real estate to have individual acts, but of course comics being uh, much more serialized uh, move in just a totally different way. The story is going to flow completely different. Do you think it's like crucial to have like the three act structure in some some form in each individual issue, or do you really think it can just play out across however many issues you're planning? I think you can do both. I I don't think there's any hard set rule mm-hmm. for telling a story, just as long as all the elements of a story are there. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have a story i mean comics are essentially all like mainstream superhero comics are all just act two and they're never gonna be done right right with act two because they have to go on forever Mm -hmm. um once in a while you get those alternate universe stories like dark knight returns and stuff where it gives you an act three Mm -hmm. where it's like this is how it ends yeah sort of thing totally um but yeah i think i've talked to about uh i've talked about this a lot with my friend brian level who's like a great comic book artist and writer in his own right Mm -hmm. about um you know like there's absolutely nothing wrong with using the three act structure or using any act structure but you shouldn't be afraid to break it in order to get 
the desired story that you want because sometimes they just don't fit. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't fit what you need. But I would say to anybody who's starting, like, if you need a good starting point to make sure that you cover everything that you need in a story, I don't feel like I probably would be as good of a storyteller now um, if I hadn't written and done, like, the 10,000 hours thing with writing tons of terrible feature-length <laughs> screenplays yep. and comic book scripts totally. that followed a three-act structure that taught me what elements I needed in a story. Nice. Are you familiar cool. with uh, Dan Harmon's Story Circle? I have. I've used that before, too. Yeah, I've found that super, um, super helpful for me. Because if anybody hasn't seen that, Dan Harmon, the uh, creator of Community and Rick and Morty, he has like a series of blog posts where he like took the kind of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and he broke it down into a story circle that you can use kind of in micro parts of a story with specific character arcs or with the entire story. And like he, he specifically used the examples for like Die Hard and RoboCop. He broke them down using the, uh, the story circle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I found that really enlightening. And I think that like Griffin, you were talking about uh, using a three act structure, even within one issue. I think the story mm-hmm. circle works really well because you can use it as a, as a structure for like, a, a multiple issue thing like like a multiple part story but you can also use it for within one part what one character goes through or one character's arc or you know like um i, th- I think that fits really well with the comic writing medium yeah like Maybe. circles within circles yeah exactly <laughs> sort of thing yeah well and the great thing about that too is that it's broken down the three-act structure uh is kind of more regimented in that it's <coughs> sorry mm-hmm choked there for a second <laughs> um i'm dying over here yeah, call an ambulance uh we needed some drama injected on the podcast we were being too serious <laughs> so we had to throw in <laughs> we needed an act turn right there and a yeah. plot point yeah. griffin, griffin and ethan have taken <coughs> over Sorry. the show guys it's griffin oh, and ethan's man. writing hour yeah we're turning into a soap opera as of now the stegman and his amazing friends is turning into a soap opera drama um <laughs> but no I, the thing i like about dan Harmon's story circle is that the beats are more open to interpretation whereas a three a lot of three act structures are very specific about what sort of thing needs to happen right Mm -hmm. whereas his is way more intuitive of like this sort of element needs to happen so it it's it's more freeing in terms of what you can do story-wise when given a template yeah Um, a lot of times though i try at this point right now i try not to rely super heavily on act structure and usually i go back this is, and this is a weird, like, ass-backwards way of me doing it, but I go back and then make it afterwards to make sure it fits. Right, totally. right. If that makes sense. So I do it more intuitively now to fit what the story needs, and then I just use those sort of things to check to make sure that it's a complete story afterwards. Even if it doesn't fit it, as long as, like, the most necessary elements are there. Yeah, yeah I But yeah, that. I think the story circle thing is real cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, and of course that whole thing is, is a, I think... A much more simplified version, especially because Harmon coming from TV and everything, much more simplified version of, obviously, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey and the monomyth and everything like that, because if you want to get into it, like, the whole actual, like, Joseph Campbell stuff has, like, anywhere from, like, 12 to, like, 17 steps any story should take, oh, and yeah. it's, like, oh, yeah. all all pretty, some some of them get a little specific, and it's, like, all right, well, <laughs> I don't know if we really need to have this happen, and, and of course, Dan Harmon's is, like, 
uh, more streamlined, and I think that works in particular for these serialized mediums like TV and comics. Right, so. right. Yeah, it isn't like, and page two, your hero better stub their toe and feel very <laughs> angry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because totally. that's important to every story. Yeah, I just, like, it gets to a point where you, like, you don't want, and a lot of people who start out with writing, you feel like you need to stay within the confines of the three-act structure, mm-hmm. especially with comics because it's so unique Sometimes that just doesn't fit, like in an issue, or sometimes an issue just needs to be about one thing, totally. or one visual element of a story. So you can't necessarily always worry about it, but it is a good thing to practice. Yeah, I, th- I think out. for people that are dipping their toes in, like like Ethan and I, um, I think it's good to like have that as like your sort of structure. And you can play with it, play around with it, and work on being very familiar with these elements because obviously they work very very well and that's they're Mm -hmm. tried and true and that's why they're so popular um and uh i think they're great to to work in but just like everything i think uh creative there are no like rules there's a lot of things that are referred to as rules but really they're just suggestions exactly so um to go on to build on from that Mm -hmm. another book uh that I think could be very helpful, although it's a little, it's got some eccentricities okay. <laughs> with it. Is a, a book I read recently called Manga and Theory and Practice, cool. uh, and that's by uh, Hirohiko Araki. So if you're not familiar with him, he's the creator of the explosively popular manga and anime JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh-huh. Oh, nice! If, if you've never heard of that before, mm-hmm. um, it's it's. Too, it's pretty bonkers to explain, but <laughs> in terms of what JoJo's is, but um, I'll leave you uh, the listeners to go check that out. It's basically like a supernatural, over-the-top vampire story mixed with like Fist of the North Star. Basically, like, way over the top. But in this book, what he talks about is so he's been doing JoJo's since the '80s, consistently till now. That's uh, that's so, so that's a long, long run. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I thought it was more There's, recent. It's a long. Run. Oh my god. No, no, no. He's been doing it since the 80s. So what he talks about in this book is how to create what he calls a Golden Road manga, um, where, which manga, which is just, you know, is is the Japanese word for comics, basically. Uh, It's just their term for it. So what he talks about is how to make, how to make a story that has infinite possibility to go on or to just expand upon. Because his whole thing is that every arc, he reinvents the entire setup and changes all the characters. Awesome. So what's really cool about this is just him talking about all the brainstorming he goes through when he decides to reinvent stuff. So as a creator, it's really refreshing to see someone else's process and all these little notes and everything talk about how he decided to completely change up what the combat was going to be or what the supernatural elements were going to be or what the characters were going to be like or how he promised to himself that every time he redid it, the main character would have a completely different personality uh, than the one before them. That's crazy. And a whole different outlook to completely change. Even if they were fighting the same type of enemies, it would be a completely different type of person, you know, as opposed to having a perfect gentlemanly Captain America type character to a prankster person who always cheats, you know, type Loki type character as the main, Mm -hmm. as the main protagonist. So I think that's a great book for people to check out if anyone's planning on writing anything long form, whether it's comics or, you know, like a series of novels. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's great. I'm going to probably reread it sometime later this year. See, I find that fascinating Sweet. because with comics, like, it can, you know, it can be a very limited kind of thing where maybe you, you plan out a six-issue or 12-issue run and then maybe you expand upon mm-hmm. that or whatever. But then some, some comic stuff, particularly, like, you know, with manga, it'll just continue forever. Um, like, I don't, I don't know, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know who's familiar with, uh, I believe it's called Love and Rockets. Um, is, is an American oh, yeah. comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, started in the 80s, continues till now, but the characters in the comic age in real time. Um, yeah. And, like, that's, that's awesome. like, that's fascinating to me of just the idea of con- just continuing the work in that way. Uh, and, I, and I feel like that's one of the things that makes comics just the greatest medium is that it's so flexible that you can stretch it out that far and just see what mm-hmm. happens. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, it's great. And this one is really cool in a unique sense where he's just trying to tell you like to be open to making your ideas huge and big and crazy. Yeah. Because people will people will react to the things that you find interesting, which you know in his case, like it truly is a bizarre adventure. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Very <laughs> for cool. that. So yeah. So moving on to something a little bit more traditional. Mm-hmm. Um to pull some stuff out of. I don't remember if I mentioned this one the last time I was on, but there's a great book called that I picked up on a whim called Self-Editing for Fiction Writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is by Rennie Brown and Dave King. This book, it's mainly focused on people who write prose, but I think yeah. it's got a lot of important lessons about how to look critically at your own work, mm-hmm. like to view it as if you didn't write it because doing that can help you be a self-editor and find weak points in your writing and find places where you know you're probably going to mess up or you're going to need to go back and fix later. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to implore that a lot, especially because I've been doing... I've been writing a lot of longer-form OGN scripts for projects That's that are sweet. coming up. Yeah, yep. And doing that there's a lot more to juggle and there's a lot of different challenges than to writing something that's broken up and broken up into issues, Mm -hmm. especially because you can be way more flexible with pacing when you write an OGN, um, which means original graphic novel. If I haven't said that already. (laughs) Yeah. When doing that, it's a lot more, you know, you don't have to plan around issue breaks or anything or chapter breaks unless you decide to break it up into chapters. Mm Mm-hmm. So making sure that I can self-edit and know when, even if I really love this scene, but it doesn't go anywhere, I have to make sure that it actually fits. Otherwise, I'm wasting space and I'm making somebody draw something that they don't need to be drawing. That <laughs> doesn't need yeah, to be in the story. Totally. Um, yeah, so I think that's a really great resource. Um, Editing and I mean, aside like... from doing that... Oh, go ahead. Editing, I think, um, in, in, in all forms, like you got to be... obviously. In, in film, we have our designated, like, editors, usually, and uh, those are nice because oftentimes, uh, there's always the exception, but oftentimes they're just sort of the unbiased pair of eyes. You have the writer that's obviously going to be very attached to the script, and the director's going to be very attached to their vision, but the editor's got to come in here and find the story. They have all the puzzle pieces, and really, they are the ones putting it together. And uh, and when you have a very sort of independent uh, uh, medium like comics... Uh, where obviously we have we have editors in in the traditional sense in comics, but like editing the actual story and picking apart uh, what what you like uh, from what you think is necessary for the story uh, is just like totally crucial. Because of course you could come up with this sick sequence, but does it work is a totally different question. And so being able to be honest with yourself about your work, uh, I think is the 
is like the first step to really putting something great together. Yeah, and I would just say like I would be nowhere without the awesome editors that I've worked with totally over yep. the past few years. So, but I just shout out to anyone who's ever put up with me doing a story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, that's not true. We've I've always had a great working relationship with editors. Like I know a lot of people. You know, a big part of writing or just making anything is learning how to take criticism. Mm -hmm. And if you can work with someone who, like, editors are only there to make your stuff better because they want to be able to help you tell the story the best way possible. So once you're, and a lot of what this book does too is, like, opens you up to other people editing your stuff Mm -hmm. by making you feel empathetic towards somebody who's going to be, you know, taking your story apart. Like, you can learn to take your own story apart. Absolutely. Can you, um, would you be able to touch on the relationship between the writer and an editor and what the editor is doing for writers by chance? Sure. Um, it's different, different situations. So if it was a creator own project, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times, you know, I, when I work with editors on creator own projects, we, they help me build the story up, you know, from soup to nuts sometimes after the initial concept is picked up yeah. just because, we're developing it together. We want to make sure that it works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas opposed to when I do something, you know, for someone like DC, like, you know, the characters are already established. It's way more making sure that it fits and then making sure that the storytelling super solid and then guiding that story uh, from beginning to end and trying to help you put your own spin on it. Yeah. Uh, Which is, you know, something that's pretty difficult with characters who've existed from the 40s sometimes. (laughs) So they're all about, like, that's one of the great things, um, especially with the editors that I work with at DC or Fantastic, is that they're all about you getting to tell your version of that character Mm -hmm. um, and then helping you shape and find all the story elements, whether it's, you know, story pacing dialogue just helping you bring out the best of it and that's what editors are supposed to be there for they're supposed to help you tell the best comic story possible totally awesome so that's really the working relationship and then there's deadlines Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. and keep you on track and invoices and all that jazz cool cool self-editing is hard man i feel like that's one of the first like brutal things to overcome when you're you're trying to write is like really oh really figuring God, out how yeah. to be brutal and to kill your darlings a little bit because it's like mm-hmm. it feels so fragile when you've like pulled something out of your brain and you just want to like protect it uh but sometimes you just gotta chop it up you know <laughs> yeah i do i if i were to like go back and read any of the screenplays that i wrote in like notebooks in high school i would immediately want to yeah. toss them in a bonfire yeah, because yeah. they're just like I had not cut anything and like I was real into Kevin Smith movies at the time so a lot of it was just like people standing around talking about pop culture things that I thought were interesting but they were even more minutiaed because they were about things that no one knew anything (laughs) about just me Uh, I'd say say never go back to anything from high school that would be my advice to writers (laughs) (sighs) yeah just leave it alone you were way everybody was way more creative when they were like five years old if you made up a character when you were like five go back to that because it's probably a gold mine (laughs) that's That's a good idea anything you killed in high school you were just like man I want to be conformist (laughs) (laughs) I um, people sit around talking. I had a, I think, a really great piece of advice. Um, 
from from a professor I had that was like you said, Ethan, you got to kill your darlings, and his very specific one was like kill your firstborn. Like the first idea you have, fuck it. Even if right. you think it's great, just fucking leave it. Go to the next one, um, because chances are, like, if you come up with a really great first idea, like if you just put more thought and effort into it, you'll probably come to an even better one, and you don't quite realize it. So you got to just let it go. Right. keep moving and find and something I think, good. I, I think that like when, when you're looking at stuff with a critical eye you can often like tell in something like oh that was kind of a first idea best idea kind of thing uh, yeah. like like that could yeah. have been expanded upon beyond the initial concept uh, so yeah, you just gotta be ready to just throw it out fuck it <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and that's a great that kill your darlings thing is a great plug too for that book on writing with Stephen King yeah, yeah. which is a great yeah. which is a great resource to read it's kind of like half autobiography half about writing right right um, but all of it is all of it is really fun and he has that great section about killing your darlings about just learning that hey it might seem really cool and you might really like it but if it doesn't need to be there then it's gotta go uh, nice, and I believe uh, Ryan's brought up the Stephen King book a number of times. So there's, there's, there's a Ryan seal of approval uh, on that one. Yep. I'm sure stamped with the Stegman seal of approval, like the old Nintendo ones. Yes, <laughs> very cool. Like a little <laughs> circle with stars all around it. <laughs> all right, what's uh, what's next, Kenny? Um, let's see through my whole stack here. Uh. I think I'm going to cut a couple of these out because there are a couple are redundant. I cleared off my bottom shelf of all my <laughs> writing books. To cool. Kill your darlings, so, Kenny. Um, Get them the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm putting it to practice. So um, another one that I think is really good that I think Ryan mentioned once on here was um, Words for Pictures by Brian Michael mm-hmm. Bendis, mm-hmm. Uh, which is like about the art and business of writing comics. So this one's this one's got a lot of storytelling principles and then also just great interviews with creators about their writing process. And if you want to like, you know, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain behind some of the like major projects that have come out in the past couple of years, like including, I think there's a section here with Matt fraction about Hawkeye. There's a lot in here about the process of making daredevil. You know, it's great, especially for anyone who loves Marvel books to read through and see how people put these stories together what their thought process was behind them so that's a good comic centric one to get people really jazzed about writing comics or just about superhero comics in general what does brian michael bendis know about writing comics never heard of him (laughs) i don't know he's only published like a bajillion pages of comics (laughs) in his career um and then i think let's see i think i might cover one more book Mm -hmm. i'm debating between the two so okay um all right, I'm going to do both of them, actually, but I'm just going to do abbreviated versions okay. of both of them. Sounds One of good. them is is just dear to me because it's the first book about writing I ever read mm-hmm. uh, when I got serious about becoming a writer. So it's called How to Write a Selling Screenplay by Christopher Keene. Mm-hmm. And basically this is like, I know it sounds like a very, you know, infomercially type book, <laughs> um, but this was great because not only did it talk about, like, talk about the business of writing and screenwriting and theory it had a complete annotated script in the back to show you what he was talking about in principle Mm -hmm. and like in uh like in action so that you could see what it was like to build a story from nothing and then what it would look like in script format at the end Mm -hmm. which i thought was you know before you know when i got this i was in high school so that was back in 2000 
two, nice. I think, when I got this book. So that was, you know, the internet was around, but there wasn't as much resources. Right. The comics resources were just starting back then, even though I wasn't super into writing comics at the time. It was screenwriting. I still didn't even have those resources. And I didn't have internet, you know, access all the time. Yeah. So uh, back in the old days when we just, you know, had to plug in the dial up and hope for the best. Uh, <laughs> so a book like this was really indispensable. And things, you know, nowadays you can get comic scripts almost anywhere. Yeah. So I guess on top of that, yeah, on top of that, so I'm actually going to nix one of these books and instead I'm going to talk about some online resources just for scripts. Sure. Because I still think it's important to read other people's scripts as much as possible to try to improve your own. Um, so one big online resource is called the Comic Book Script Archive, which I believe is now on comicsexperience.com that they merged together. But you can go there and read scripts by professionals uh, from very famous runs. So, for example, they have the script for the first issue of Green Lantern that Jeff Johns did. Great. That you can read, which I've read a bunch of times, and it's a great first issue script of relaunching a character that had been dead for you know almost a decade. Mm-hmm. Right. And then um, they have great scripts too by like Jason Aaron. They have a scalp script of script of his, which is amazing, and I read it at least once a year because it's <laughs> right. just a great example of how you don't need flashy, um, you don't need flashy uh, like action or anything to tell an amazing comic book story. Right. Uh, I don't remember Jason which Aaron, issue it Jason is. Jason Aaron, he has a lot of scripts available, and I fucking recommend going to all of those, because I really loved his one that was in uh, the director's cut of uh, War of the Realms. He had his first issue script in, in the back of that, and oh, that's good stuff. That's like that's, that's oh, good yeah. to study. It's, it's scalp number 35 is the, right, is right. the issue that they have up here. Sweet. Um, but they have a ton of scripts in there that you can read. Uh, you know, you can get new director's cut issues of books, uh, kind of like you mentioned. So, like, I have more recently one of my favorite runs was Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Gerards. Yeah. Or Mitch Gerards. I don't know how to say his last name. I feel like an idiot. <laughs> I apologize, Mitch, if you're listening to this. I don't know how to say your last name. I think it's Jared's um, or Gerards. Okay, we'll go with one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't say it again because I don't want to butcher it again. Um, but. Their work on that book was fantastic. I did not hesitate to buy the director's cut issue um, to make sure that I had the script and then just more of Mitch's artwork. Uh, I also have one of those of the Black Hammer series that Jeff Lemire did, mm-hmm. um, which has a great first issue script in there. So I just recommend reading as many scripts as possible just to get a feel for cadence and how other people structure a page. Totally. Uh, it's really indispensable to learn how to do that sort of thing and how to pace to make sure you're either if it's a dense page you're not making it too dense if it's a light page you're giving someone enough for you know that a splash page just isn't a reveal of a character that's a little bit more weight to it although mm-hmm. sometimes it just needs to be a reveal of a character you need to do one of those big like oh my god it's cable type yeah, moments totally. yeah um we 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 would be remiss not to mention uh director's cut of Venom, uh, no, sorry, not Venom, uh, Abscarn number one on Comixology got Mr. Donny Cates' script in the back of that. If you want to take a look at a Donny Cates mm-hmm. script, it's got it. Donny writes awesome Ooh. scripts. I have a bunch of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
He's that guy who writes the book about Spider-Man's old clothes. Oh, yeah, that's right. I listened to that episode I wasn't uh, on, and he couldn't even remember my name, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> Danny Coates, uh, whatever his name is, I guess he writes. Uh, he there. writes Spooky Suit. Spooky Suit. Yep, Spooky Suit. <laughs> Spidey Spooky Suit. I have, um, I have some of his trade paperbacks that have scripts of his in there that are great. The one for... Uh, the one for the Silver Surfer Black director's yeah, cut yeah, or yeah. edition or whatever was great. Um, and that's a really cool book, too. Oh, but yeah. We haven't gotten to touch on Silver Surfer Black on this show yet, but it, it's it's good, folks. I'd say go check that out. It's uh, <laughs> it's one of the best miniseries I've ever read. It yeah, me awesome. too. Me too. <laughs> Damn fine comic booking. But, um, Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's those would basically be all my recommendations right now. I have more, but I I can post a list <laughs> on a blog mm-hmm. on my website of all the books that I recommend. I just can't, you know, stress more that you know if you want to write comics or write anything really, you need to you need to be researching how comics are made on every level and how stories are made on every level, whether it's writing comic scripts or not, anything you can pull to help you make a bit, uh, make you a better storyteller. You should do just like Ryan had said about any sort of book about art or drawing you could use to improve. Even if it's like 5% of something out of the book is something you can take with you to make yourself better. Just eat it up. You're never done learning. Mm hmm. Awesome, man. Well, I am super excited to to dig into all of those. I will certainly be uh, asking for some for Christmas because it's the holiday season, folks, and I like comic books. Um, sweet. Uh, did you want to get to uh, Twitter questions and such, or do you? Yeah, let's jump into some questions. Sweet. Let's see here. We put out a call for questions over on our Twitter, and uh, some folks came in with a few, so we're gonna get to those right now. Uh, Joe Mulvey. Uh, is it true Kenny finds it helpful to dress up as c- the characters he's writing? Absolutely true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If so, do photos exist? Do they have their own social media feed? Or would I be able to purchase any of them in 8x10 glossy? Thank you for your time. Huge fan of the producers. Oh, that's <laughs> us. Sweet. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Joe. Joe's a, Joe's a friend of mine and an amazing artist. Uh, he recently did a comic called Wailing Blade that everybody should go check out. Nice. With another buddy of mine named Rich Duick. It's a really cool uh, action-y fantasy story that everybody should go should go dig into. It's real good. Um, but uh, to answer his question, <coughs> no, I don't dress up like the characters. <laughs> um, there is a picture of me dressed up as Green Lantern from a Halloween costume from years ago nice. on the internet somewhere. Like in a homemade Green Lantern costume, we'll, but no, we'll I don't it. usually dress up as the characters. However, I will walk around when I'm writing and talk as them out loud, mm-hmm. and run the scene in my head sometimes. Totally. Uh, so playing everybody in the room, so anybody who walks in on that, I'm sure is very, very perturbed. I mean, if I had the outfits, I would wear them. Oh hell yeah! Uh, who would you? Who would you look yeah. the best? As? Is it perturbed or disturbed? I think disturbed would probably be better. <laughs> It's late, guys. I'm tired. <laughs> is there, is there, is there, are there any characters that you would be a good representation of? Me dressing up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, due to my hair loss, any of the bald characters would probably be pretty good. <laughs> be a good Lex Luthor, yeah? Oh, yeah. Charles I, Xavier? Yeah, totally. I could, I could rock a Lex Luthor. I could do... Hmm. Who else is good? I don't know. Who else is bald? Xavier. Oh, yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've thought about that, uh, cause I do think it really helps and I, I, I always kind of feel a little weird doing it, but I don't know, man, there's something about just jumping around the room trying to write some Spider-Man dialogue that just makes it a lot easier. So a hundred percent. Yeah. Don't feel weird about it. Just do oh, it. Oh yeah. Always talk it out. If you got to talk it out. Sweet. He has this hashtag. Fuck it. I'm Porter. So good shit. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing that, that's a thing between. <laughs> that's not your catchphrase. <laughs> to justify it. When you do yeah. something bold, you say, fuck it, dude, I'm Porter, which is what my brother and I used to say all the time. Sick. Yes. <laughs> all right. Do stuff. I love it. Um, Genesis says, how do you find your own voice for a character that's already been well-established by previous runs? And he references your Dexter and your guy Gardner stories. Oh, well, funny. Cause we touched on that a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think a big part of it is, especially when you're a fan of the character, everyone, even if they, even if a character's big, like, you know, Batman, mm-hmm. and everybody loves Batman, everyone has their own idea of what Batman is mm-hmm. or to them. And I think that the big thing that you need to do when you take on a character, it's like when I did Guy Gardner, to me, Guy Gardner is the workhorse like frontline warrior of the Green Lantern Corps. He's the guy who's the first in whether anyone asked him to do it or not and he will be the last guy <laughs> out. Which is why um and he'll do he will fight any battle that anyone needs fighting for them even if it means he doesn't make it back. Yeah. Which nice. is more of a recent development because I started reading Guy Gardner more in the Jeff Johns run. Mm-hmm. So I know he's, you know, classically before that had been, you know, kind of a prick and stuff and he's still got a bit of that in him but in the more modern interpretations and the way I've always seen the character I've always seen him as like he's a bit of a dick but if you knew him and you called him at 2 in the morning and your car was broken down somewhere he would drive to come out and get you totally no matter how far it was I'm kind of, I'm honestly got kind of back. an inverse of that question how do you like pick up a character and then kind of slot into that voice like like if you're gonna write a character you haven't written before do you kind of dive into their stuff and read a lot of them and then kind of try to settle into that voice or like 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 how do you get a sense of that yeah i kind of do i kind of time together so like when i'm finding what i want to talk about a character i relate it to myself and a part of myself so like with guy gardner so we'll just use him as the example with him Mm -hmm. he represents like my push to it doesn't matter if me doing the right thing will hurt me in the long run. I will still do the right thing because I couldn't not do that. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I once ate at a restaurant and left and went to work and forgot to tip. I punched out at work and went back and tipped at the restaurant. I went nice. back because nice. I could not live with Hell myself. Yeah. You're a good man, Charlie <laughs> Brown. It ki- yeah, I know. It <laughs> me. Um, so, with that with finding what my voice is and my interpretation of it, I put myself into the character and then kind of take a look at the whole breadth of how the character has been represented so that I can capture the tone, um, which sometimes, and this is real weird and it's probably going to make me sound strange, but I try to find what the, what the color of their voice is. Mm-hmm. So let me explain. Like the way I always like put it into analogy is I assign colors to voices in my head almost like a 
I don't have synesthesia, but that's the best way I can describe it, where it's almost as if you were picturing the dialogue from the Ninja Turtles as yeah. blue, red, purple, or orange. Mm-hmm. Like, I find some sort of subset, and with, like, Guy Gardner, to me, um, it's a it's like a dark green mm-hmm. like it's a brash uh you know like noticeable stands out like he's going to when he talks you're going to notice cuz it's either going to be very brash or he's just going to like get down to brass tacks sort of thing so yeah. i like that's the color i pictured when i was writing it so i revisited i reread some of the john's run i watched some of his animated appearances and I mixed together what I felt like was a voice that felt like a part of me as like, if Guy Gardner, if I were Guy Gardner, how would I talk? Mm-hmm. Is basically what it gets down to. And that makes me sound like some crazy method actor person or something. <laughs> no, but, no. Uh, Everybody's but that's basically have their way. where I'm coming through with that. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting thing in particular, like, like this initial question of established characters, because I think you have some characters, I mean, obviously everybody's going to have their own idea, like we've said, and I think part of being comfortable writing those characters is accepting and and trying not to think about what other people are going to think of your version of the character, because you, like, you have to be true to, you have to be true to who the character is at their heart, of course, but you also have to be true to who they are to you and what your version of them is, I think. Which is gonna suck because there's definitely gonna be people that don't like it, and that's fine. Um, you gotta, I think, learn with, uh, learn to live with that. Um, but I also think that there are some characters that are obviously like sort of your your everyman character that you can really slot your voice into, and then there are some characters that I think are pretty like uh, rigid and should have a very specific tone um, and and sort of voice. Kenny, can you think of any characters like that that you think are? a bit more difficult to slip into or do you think that you have the ability to really make each one of them your own regardless um are are you talking about like if there's a character who has a very set way of talking i guess like so if like if so like what are those characters and um do you think that there are any characters uh established characters that really should sort of just stick to who they are and and don't have a whole lot of room for you to make them your own or can we just always make them our own i think there's always even if you don't change up the voice mm-hmm. uh or your interpretation necessarily you always need to be putting a part of yourself into you know into a story so i guess if i were to think of a character who was very who was very you know Established. Okay, well, for example, let's take Professor X, for example, because mm-hmm. I mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Fantastic character. Uh, he's, you know, he's always been known as kind of the stuffier, you know, idealist sort of person. Uh, and most recently in House of X and Powers of X, uh, Jonathan Hickman's writing him as more of this, you know, fluid thinker who's willing to be a little bit more free with his ideas and he's got you know some new body language and everything in the way that he moves mm-hmm. um it's just a really but he when you read his dialogue he still comes off as the idealized dreamer who's like we can make mutant kind work mm-hmm. so that's so he still sounds like professor rex but he's coming off on a whole new interpretation a whole new uh a whole new 
you know, set up and set of uh, beliefs. I don't want to ruin yeah. House of X for yeah. anybody who hasn't read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a whole new set of beliefs and outlook on the world while still being completely recognizable as Professor X. Sure. Yeah, totally. That's a really, really great example, I think. I'm always, like, tempted. I'm, like, lured into, like, I just want to write characters like Etric and the Demon, where it's, like, got a very specific rhyme scheme <laughs> to how he talks and everything. Like, yeah. that's very enticing for me. It Well, yeah, like, that would be super fun to do Etric and to be able to do all of the rhyming couplets that he does. Although I've heard that it's... Um, there's been different interpretations where sometimes he does it, sometimes he only does it if he feels like it. Right, like, right, I mean, right. Come on, man. I like it better when he has to rhyme. He's stuck other. with it. That's his <laughs> thing. Time. That's his M.O. Yep. It's his rhyming <laughs> demon class, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next question, uh, Varanus, uh, as usual, I apologize if I'm butchering anybody's names. Um, how do you write for the space on the page? Do you write what you feel needs to be written and then let the artist and letterer fit it on the page? Or is there a cadence to the quantity of words ascribed to a page? How do you balance the space occupied by drawn art and words? Oh, I, I definitely write with a cadence and a plan mm-hmm. because you do not want to, you don't want to fill it up with too much dialogue. You don't want too many panels on the page. You don't want too many actions. So I, the only real advice I can give for this is to study comic art and to study how a page is put together mm-hmm. from some of your favorite runs to get a feel for pacing or how sequences should be set up. Um, I, I, but I also, I don't overly direct in panel descriptions. Mm-hmm. I trust the artist to do that a lot of time, unless there's something very specific that needs to be done to set something up. I don't try to art direct. I believe that was um, something that Donnie the... said in one of the first episodes. He was talking about kind of backwards writing a comic. Like you take you take a comic and then you try to write a, the script of that comic. Like try to understand mm-hmm. so that you can understand the inner workings of it. Oh yeah, yeah I've done that before. Yeah, yeah. Like to just reverse engineer it to be like what what must they have put down to describe what was happening? Right. I love that. Uh yeah, it's a real good exercise to let you see like how much do I really actually need to say for them to convey it. But um in terms of yeah, like setting up a page, I I don't know how many people do it this way because I'm real unique in how I do it is I first I get to a new page, I think about what the main visual of that page is going to be. Mhm. Um, as one unit and then I write around that main visual so whether it's an action or it's an emotion um, and I don't write any dialogue the first pass I just write the panels so that that way it works visually without anything added yeah I love that that. when I go back yeah Yeah, that's genius yeah so that you can visually see what's happening and get it without the dialogue added Mm -hmm. and then that helps me not add too much dialogue afterwards Definitely. That's great because um, I think I think that that's like something you run into with comics immediately is like I I never want to make someone feel the thing of you turn a page in a comic and you're just like <laughs> oh fuck like there's just there's just like Wall walls of text. of text like you just run into it like an incredible crash dummy and yeah yeah <laughs> splatter all over the wall exactly yeah totally um awesome very cool and I think that's also there's also that good tip in there of just because you want to be a writer doesn't mean don't like don't bother studying comic art too because like having right. a working knowledge oh, of all totally. of it is like crucial i think i think anybody who wants to write comics needs to study 
every aspect of how a comic is made, mm-hmm. like coloring, lettering, penciling, inking. I, I still have tons to learn in all those areas, but I try to learn as much as possible. I also love buying original art books, like artist editions and everything, to see how pages were put together, where things were changed. All that process stuff, I absolutely love. And the more you study that, the more you figure out like how a page is put together, what an artist is thinking about how they're doing it. The more you can help yourself think like an artist, the better you're going to be at just writing comics. Right, because I mean, it's all got to work together in kind of a symphony I, I think that's something that griffin and i are trying to like kind of prepare ourselves for like and i'm very excited for it is like going to be the process of working with an artist um because like that's going to be like these little relationships you have to form uh professionally and and, it, and it's got it's got to jive together just right and uh, i i god that's like that's so cool to me the process by which like it, two different kind of uh, mediums of storytelling kind of have to collide in just the right way to make a great comic. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And one thing that you're going to find too is that every artist, every artist draws differently, and every artist is dr- interested in drawing different things, mm-hmm. has a completely different style. So learning how to write for different artists is a big thing, which is why whenever I start something new, I like to get on the phone and just talk tonally about what they're interested in drawing, like what their favorite things are. So, um, so for instance, for the Superman story we have coming up, I jumped on the phone with Ramon and he and I talked about which was amazing. Cause immediately we were both just, we were, I was kind of feeling, I was like, so what kind of tone you want to go for the Superman story? And luckily he said the exact same thing I was thinking, which was like all-star Superman. Yeah. Like yeah. as if it were a lost chapter, <laughs> of all-star superman i was just like absolutely hell yes so like thinking so we were both thinking in terms of that cadence and tone and pacing and types of action so that when i went to go write it i was making sure that i was fitting with what he was going to want to draw afterwards i mean if you're going for superman all-star is where you want to (laughs) go yeah well i mean i also injected i'm a huge fan of all of the bruce tim animated stuff yeah, yeah. so i so i did my own take on like on a mix between like all-star and batman tas nice. because that's like cool. that's where that's where the heart of my dc stuff lives is in the right. nothing's ever distilled it better than the animated stuff for me when i was a kid like that's what made me a lifelong dc fan and made me run out and get all the books um so yeah, like learning how to do that with an artist and having a shorthand language eventually and knowing how to write for them is a huge part of it. Yeah, and of course we've talked a, a whole bunch on the show about the dynamic that uh, Ryan and Donnie have, and uh, that's how you make badass stuff like Absolute Carnage. So yeah, that's like the they've st- talked a bunch of times about how they have a shorthand now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you want, folks. Uh, Liam Huberty says, "Where do you find most of your inspiration?" What other forms besides comics do you get a lot of your ideas from, and where should aspiring writers look for inspiration? I think that one of the big things you have to do is just be willing to find inspiration stuff that aren't within the medium that you want to work in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I read a ton of comics, like tons and tons of comics. I think on my Goodreads, which I haven't updated in the past couple of weeks, I've already read like over 300 trades this year. Mm-hmm. 
That's a um, lot. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I read every night before bed, and I don't fall asleep easy. Yeah, right. Uh, so reading a ton within your medium is great, but it's also, like, you you won't ever find new ideas if you don't take in new stuff from new places. Totally. I was, uh, I don't know, I don't know I would say fortunate. I I grew up when there was the big anime boom. <laughs> nice. And, and, and like, um, an original animation boom of, like, the 2000s, so with, like, Adult Swim and Toonami, like, I got introduced to a lot of different types of storytelling, mm-hmm. whether it was the weird giant mech stuff of, like, Gundam or you know, the very off-the-wall strange humor of, like, Space Ghost Coast to Coast or C-Lab 2021. That sort of stuff inspired me in ways that no other genre or medium could. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for uh, same goes for all types of writing. So, for example, there's a really great play, and now I'm going to kick my own ass because I can't remember the name <laughs> of the writer who did it. Harold Pinter. Nice. There's a there's a play by a writer named Harold Pinter called The Birthday Party that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite written pieces of literature ever. And it has inspired me like in terms of storytelling beyond anything because all of the play is subtext and unless you're paying attention you can't t- you don't know what it's about and once you figure it out it becomes infinitely more interesting and that sort of thing inspired me to do more with subtextual dialogue where people aren't saying what they mean but you can pick up by the tone and their body language and what they're referring to what's actually going on so you know finding inspiration like who would have thought I would have found inspiration for writing comics in a play right from the from the 60s but that's like by just reading a play I haven't even actually seen it performed I've only mm-hmm. read the play <laughs> um I think there was a movie though, but I uh, I've never seen the movie. I've only read the play dozens of times, and it blows me away. I find like my points of inspiration are completely fucking random. Like like it it could literally Mm -hmm. be anything. The the biggest script that I worked on recently, I just like heard a song that that I just stumbled onto off of Spotify, and then all of a sudden, like throughout that song, the whole story was in my head. And like it could Mm -hmm. literally be anything. I and I I love that. Well, that was going to be my next point, is, like, the the art of learning how to let your mind wander. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And to let your mind just do what, like, go what if. Totally. Like, so that's, like, one of the biggest things. So, like, when I came up with um, the comic I did, Barnstormers, the one I did the Kickstarter for, uh, all I was doing was looking at old, <laughs> like, old plain model kits in a store and I just was always like yeah, these would be way doper if there were giant evil frogs and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and then that spiraled into man I used to love like SWAT cats when I was a kid and tailspin and all oh, that yeah. stuff like it, it was it's just learning how to let your mind wander and snowball and roll down the hill to create stuff in your head Right. So a lot of it, a lot of my ideas just come from my crazy ass brain, just the floodgates being open on it and not being afraid to keep that part of your brain that you had as a kid where you just imagine stuff all the time open. So yeah, a lot of it is just being open. Like when you hear something that catches your attention to like stop and think about it and let your brain run with it instead of just shutting it down, you know, 
and moving on with your day which i think could be tough because yeah. like like for speaking for myself like i, I feel like i'm kind of programmed to keep myself busy with like with like anything on the internet and with media and whatever like i'm just always listening to something or doing something but like you know when you're a kid there are a lot of periods when you're bored and so all you can do is just think about stuff uh and i think that, that you have to just kind of like shut off and just drift for a while um, oh yeah, like there's barely any time to have the silence right. because you have podcasts, you have videos constantly, yeah. you can have anything streaming at any point in time. It's just learning. Yeah, a great thing is to just like go on a walk, don't listen to anything, just let let your brain wander, and the first things that pop in your head, just let it snowball and yeah. roll down the hill, man. Absolutely. Uh, Inaki Aspiasu says, uh, "What usually comes to you? Uh, sorry, what usually comes to you first when writing a story? Beginning, ending, the middle bits. The middle bits. I like that. <laughs> it's not the middle bits, but I do like that little part. Um, there's no specific. Uh, there's no specific answer. Inaki is a friend of mine, by the way, and actually like somebody I'm working on a book with. He's a great artist, like a real unique." Uh, really unique style like everybody should go check him out but um yeah i guess he and i have never really talked about what my story process is before (laughs) um yeah i don't usually i usually try to start with the ending because when i know where i'm going i can extrapolate from that it isn't always the ending sometimes the first thing that comes to me is some sort of sequence that would be in the middle or you know just a really good hook but i at least what whatever i start with that isn't the ending i immediately try to figure out what the ending is going to be Mm -hmm. because i need to know what i'm working towards and while the middle parts can change like the ending is usually so important to what the rest of the story is Mm -hmm. that you have to you have to know what you're even if you branch off the path and go in a crazy direction you have to know where you're going to end up yeah um, which is uh, <laughs> something that Mr. Ryan has uh, has refuted a couple of times, um, mostly because we were talking uh, more on, on the Stephen King book, and then we were talking about Stephen King in general and how a lot of people say that his endings are ass and everything like that. And uh, Ryan is very much of the school of thought, uh, not, not to speak for him, but I think uh, based on some of his previous comments that the ending isn't totally important as long as the, the, the story itself is good. Sure, if the ending doesn't quite land the way you wanted, shouldn't negate the whole story, um, which I think is true. Uh, but I also think that um, the ending is like uh, the point of, of maximum satisfaction, I think, is when you just like stick that landing. Um, yeah, and which I, isn't easy. And I get no, it. No, not like, at all. It's. it's he is right. Like, as long as the journey was great, a lot of times the ending doesn't matter. But for me personally, like, when I come up with something, I need to know what I'm working towards at the end mm-hmm. to make sure that everything is worthwhile and I don't go so off the rails that, you know, an action-adventure, like, road trip across America doesn't just turn into two people selling vacuums in Idaho because they didn't go the whole way. So yeah, yeah. maybe that's more interesting. I don't know. <laughs> See, I've heard so <laughs> many writers... Vacuum I've heard so many writers say, like, don't even start writing something unless you know the ending already. Which, like, I feel like, especially for comics, I don't know that that's accurate. I don't that's know. Well, how do you feel about that? hard to do, I feel like. Um, well, sorry, the thing ahead, with Kenny. comics, though, is you have limited space. 
to tell yeah. everything. You only have so many unit, like so many pages, and you know units of story to tell something. Is that I want to make sure that I'm not. It's really hard sometimes. You know, you can't like the ending will change just because of the way the characters go. But if you know where you're going, it makes it easier to plot that stuff out. And again, this is all preference. There's no right or wrong way. Right, to do right. it but for me personally like I have to know the ending when I'm going in totally because otherwise I will get stressed out and anxious that I'm not <laughs> gonna get there <laughs> it's the same thing with me planning a trip man like I can't just walk up to the airport and buy and hope I'm gonna have a ticket I need to yeah. buy that shit in advance absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and check in the minute I can check in in the airline app um we also have some questions that uh, folks from Instagram tossed at us. Um, yep, yep. Broadcast live. I've only got usernames on here, so sorry if, if I don't have any of your real names in front of me. Um, Self-publish or find a publisher? Uh, both. I think that, you know, you should always be sending your stuff out to publishers, mm -hmm. but never let someone saying no to your story get in the way of you putting it out there. Okay. I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be working on the stuff I'm working on now if I hadn't done self-publishing and, like, learned what it was to make a comic. Especially with comics, like, there's a stigma around self-publishing in all other forms of uh, of literature, which is really just kind of sad mm -hmm. because, you know, there was the big ebook boom and everything and printing became real easy, so anybody who had an idea for a book could do a book and, you know, just when any... When any you know, medium becomes easy to create stuff in, you're going to have a lot of stuff that's not great. Mm -hmm. Because anyone who has the gumption to put something out, like they can put out, and there's not necessarily any sort of thing for for quality. So, you know, and you, when it comes to comics, like, it's a completely different thing where it's the proving ground. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to tell somebody you were going to self-publish a novel, they might turn their nose up at you but if you're self-publishing a comic like that shows someone that you can make something from beginning to end that has a lot of complicated steps and shows that you love it enough to do it without you know having the reward in front of you of having a publisher put it out absolutely it shows how dedicated you are which i've been trying to change the mind of my friends who write um who write novels or poetry or anything and encourage them like there's nothing wrong with self-publishing. You just <laughs> you just need to make sure that, like you just put in the work to make sure it's quality and you should be proud of what you've made regardless. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're way ahead of anybody who's never made a book before. Like making a book is hard. Yeah, I think You've written a big book before is hard. It's it is. And I think some people <laughs> like like to sort of, you know, kind of look down at it's like, "Oh, well, I guess I don't know. I don't even know if I can do it and if i do make it well i have one but it's like okay but you made it like there's it is obviously a very sort of daunting thing especially when you're first starting i think it's your very first yeah. one and you're like uh is this even gonna be worth it blah 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 is this gonna yeah. be good and if it sucks then you just you learn the lessons and you move on you do it again if i just like stopped if i didn't if i had just stopped at the first one shot i ever did mm -hmm. and was like okay well i'm not famous so i guess i quit yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. If that were even the measurement that I'm going off of, it, it's not. But that's the attitude that I'm taking of somebody. Like, if they were gonna write a novel and then they they self published it and then they weren't immediately rich, 
like that sort of thing. Like you can't be doing it for that. Yeah. You have to be doing it because you love, you love the medium and you love actually creating things. Yeah. And, and if that's true, you'll do it one way or another. And like, can you just imagine if Stan way back when was like, uh, I don't even know if this is going to be good. Fuck it. I'm not going to write this Spider-Man character. <laughs> I don't think it'll be worth it. So no, you'll never know till you do it. You'll miss a hundred percent of the shots. You don't take Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Griffin Sheridan. <laughs> quote right there <laughs> put it on a t-shirt it's our merch um next question andy maxwell 25 so i've got a finished script several actually now what okay this one's pretty open-ended because mm-hmm. i don't know where anything else is uh, standing <laughs> at the time but i imagine i, I will say... say he's got the scripts and that that is it he's just him okay Okay, well, then let's imagine... Okay, let's imagine the scenario. If I'm Andy and I've written some scripts, mm-hmm. now what do I do? Mm-hmm. The first thing I would do is try to find an artist to collaborate with, whether that's going to shows or finding someone online. Uh, and I would work together, find somebody who's interested in the same stuff as you and the script that you wrote. Um, I'd say it's it's, it's not too much more challenging but it's slightly more challenging if you're looking for an artist after you've already completely developed something mm-hmm. um because then you know it's it feels more with a creator own thing like they're just coming on to work on it whereas a lot of times when i do a creator own thing i like to talk to the artist first and then write it um right, with right. them in mind but that's okay like you can always rewrite and change stuff afterwards mm-hmm. um so which you should just be open to doing anyway with somebody you're going to collaborate with. So my main thing I would recommend is trying to find an artist to collaborate with, uh, work on some concept art stuff, do any rewrites you need to do to make it better fit their style and make sure you get their input in on it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would start making the book together, whether it's just a full first issue. Well, at least do a full first issue, which I know sounds like a big commitment, but if you're looking, if your plan is to do a creator own book and try to get it picked up, it's, you know, a lot of places say that, you know, five to eight sample pages are good, but it really shows that you're committed when you have a full first issue for them to read. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It can only help. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do next is try to find somebody to collaborate with who's interested in the story is invested in it and i would also debt like 100 percent pay them a page rate sweet cool and what about fresh eyes who do you get to look over your scripts uh i usually you know that's a bit of a tough one because um i'm really fortunate now because i've built up a group of friends who are awesome creators mm-hmm. whether they work in comics or not who are willing to read my stuff and give me legit feedback so my advice would be to find people who are creative, who you trust with their opinions mm-hmm. and to give to them who know that they, that, you know, aren't just going to read it and pat you on the back for having done something, mm-hmm. you know, aren't just going to be like your mom and be like, Oh, it's, it was great because you did it. Yeah. Right. Um, you want somebody who's going to be willing to point out the things you're doing well and point out the things you need to improve on. Mm-hmm. So if you can find any other people who are into writing any sort of fiction, whether it's, comics or short stories or novels if they're good at story stuff the format won't matter they'll be able to tell you as long as they've read a play before they can read a comic script and give you adequate feedback on it 
Sweet. Um, Ethan and I have the, the great, great privilege of having you look over some of the stuff we've written, and it's been fantastic, and you've given us some wonderful, wonderful advice to make the scripts even better. So publicly, thanks so much, Kenny, for being the best dude. Oh, well, thanks, you're Kenny. welcome, and I was glad to do it, and it was super fun to read, and you guys did a very good job. It was, oh, thanks, I was, and I'm not kidding. I said this to you when we met in person mm-hmm. for the first time. I was very impressed with how good it was for a first uh. Comic script. Get well, out of well, here. Well, that's the, that's Get the out sort of here. thing that happens. You know, you go to school, you take some film classes in college. Uh, <laughs> uh, Whoop-de-fucking-do. Yep. Privilege, privilege <laughs> Griffin over here. Uh, fuck. Uh, um, no, thank you very, very much, man. Yeah, I'm going to keep this in just so then everybody knows, knows <laughs> that we're doing good shit. Um, <laughs> next one, last question we got. Ian, uh, Ian Elizardi. Um, I'm sorry, sure. Ian, if I'm messing it up. It's a username. Um, what's the best way to get my comic script in someone's hands for feedback or publishing? Uh, for feedback, I, I think the best just aggr- thing you aggressively do... put it in their hands. <laughs> yes, aggressively <laughs> coat it in any sort of adhesive substance and smack it at their open hands uh it just kind of reminds you guys watch king of the hill at all yeah i yeah. have not seen any of it oh there's Ethan a great has. scene where hank hill is trying to get this guy to take a cell phone from him and he won't grab onto it and he's like grip it why won't you grip it just like <laughs> slamming it into his hand that's what i picture with somebody doing with a script um so I think Ryan had said this on the podcast before, but maybe even the episode I was in, like, no, and this is a crappy thing to say, but it's true. Nobody wants to read your scripts. Mm-hmm. Like, any any editor doesn't have time for it. Um, a lot of other pros won't do it, like strangers, because you might accuse them of taking your ideas later on if they have similar ideas. So if you want good feedback, again, like I said, you could do you do like a writing group thing if you want professional feedback um i would suggest you know just start making comics uh getting the feedback that you can and then when you've made comics and start to make friends with you know start to build a community of comic creators Mm -hmm. to not only you know get feedback on stuff but to provide feedback and help other people get better like that's a very like big part of what my philosophy for making things is is like you should always be trying to make yourself better but if there's any chance that you can do to help someone who you believe in creatively to get better as well you need to do that Mm -hmm. uh so yeah my thing would just be you know start making a community of people in comics that you uh that you feel connected to and then get their feedback and eventually you know the more stuff that you make the more editors and publishers will take notice and they'll start you know they'll be willing to look at things that you're working on um i do keep in contact with all the editors that i work on all all the projects that i'm doing and when i'm doing something new that i'm good to share like at a certain point i will just like do updates like hey just want to let you know i'm working on something hope things are going good you know, it's just, if you want feedback on stuff, you know, you got to build a community and eventually become a part of the industry, if that makes sense. Is this making sense? 
Yeah, because it's absolutely. a finesse thing. The basic, yeah, the basic is like you just can't plummet people with scripts unless someone's doing an open script reading or submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want professional feedback, another thing too, I think is I'd mentioned them earlier. Uh, Comics Experience has like a workshop thing you can sign up for where professionals give you feedback. So you review scripts and then you submit scripts for review. And uh, out of those, uh, professional guests will review your script. So, like, once I had a script that was critiqued by Chuck Dixon mm. on there, uh, who else? Um, there was a bunch. I can't remember them all, but they have a rotating cast of professional comic book script writers who will come in and give you critiques and feedback, whether if it's on a short or a single issue. So if you're looking for something more of that level, that would probably be a good sort of resource or any resource like that where you can get access to professional writers who are doing script reviews. Or awesome. you can email your script to Kenny Porter uh, at KennyPorter <laughs> at gmail.com. He'll read every single one of them. Oh, good Lord. You're <laughs> opening a Pandora's box here because you know how much of a good boy I am and that I would, it would be very... Please don't do that. Please do not guilt me into reading every script that's ever written one. Um, well, hey, that's all the questions we got. Kenny, I think this has been a phenomenal episode and extremely helpful, I know, to, to me and Ethan and hopefully a whole bunch of other folks listening. Do you have anything you want to leave us with before we end the show? Sure. Um, if you want to check out more of my work, go to portercomics.com. That's where I have a bunch of things listed. Uh, I'm going to try pretty soon to put up this list of books on my blog, but it is a holiday weekend still. Mm-hmm. Not sure how fast that's going to happen, but <laughs> you can yeah. find all the books I mentioned on Amazon. Um, I also just want to encourage anybody, like, if they have any questions about the books I listed or want like a deeper answer, like feel free to contact me through the contact form on my website. I'm, I'm good with answering. I can't do script reviews, <laughs> open, uh, open floodgates. But if people have questions about stuff or resources, I will, I will gladly try to get back to them and point them in the right direction. Um, I just hope that anybody who listens to this feels like they got something out of it and they feel more inspired to write or create stuff. And again, I just want to encourage everybody, like, if you want to write and make comics, you have to make comics. But also, especially with the writing, you got to learn every other facet and know how every part of a comic is made so you can better understand how to be a better writer. Without a doubt. That, uh, well, speaking as an inspiring writer myself, I can 100% say this was fantastic. Um, Ethan. Yes. <laughs> um, nothing. What's up? I just wanted to say hey before we end it. Hey. Anyway. <laughs> Kenny, genuinely, thank you, Kenny, so much. This has been really, really cool, and I'm glad I could pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, yeah, dude, of course, and hopefully we'll have you back real soon with our good buddy, Ryan Stegman, who's no longer the host of the show. Me and Ethan are taking over. Uh-oh. All right, welcome, everybody. Uh-oh, we're doing that whole bit. It's... Hostile podcast takeover. Oh, it's, it's the Supple Boys and their amazing um, comics people because we tricked Ryan Stegman into giving us all of their <laughs> contact information. Got him. Got him. We'll workshop the title. Yeah, yeah, it's a little long. Um... Thanks so much for listening to another episode, folks. 
if you want to see any more of the show, you can follow us at Stegman Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all of our episodes at stegmanandfriends.com. You can email the show at stegmanandfriends at gmail.com. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts because we'll do it when we do another mailbag, which uh, will probably be sometime soon here. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm Griffin. You can find me at Twitter uh, at Griff Sheridan. Ethan is at Tales to Astonish. I am. Yes, he got it. Kenny, what's your Twitter handle? At Ken Blake Porter on Twitter and Instagram. And I think that's all the ones that okay. have that one. All right. <laughs> Sick. Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody. We will catch you guys next week for whatever next week is. Stay, stay, ama- stay amazing, friends. We say that at the that's end of every episode. The, we go, stay amazing, pod- friends. Not the podcast catchphrase. It is. We, the podcast catchphrase is for whatever next week is. We voted it. We voted for it. It was stay amazing, friends. Okay, bye. <laughs>